0: You're listening to Filmmakers Drinking Bourbon. Hola, como estas? Estoy bien y tú? This is Alex. And this is Frank.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And this is Kenny.
0: (laughs) And we are all filmmakers. And
1: I'm drinking Buffalo Trace bourbon.
0: So am I. We're drinking bourbon. Hey,
2: yeah, and I'm drinking tea.
0: <laughs> it's okay. It's the middle of the day. We should all be responsible. I'm just having a sip. It's fine. It's no big deal. Cheers. Cheers.
2: cheers. Oh, Kenny. Uh, I cheersed in silence. Oh, no.
0: I we heard it. We heard I, it. I actually felt it. It was great. Uh, <laughs> Kenny, you and Frank know each other. We Frank? Do. So, how do we know each other?
2: Well, it was late one night. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's not this kind of show. Ooh. All good stories start this way. <laughs> uh, Frank and I uh, know each other, I believe, Frank, that's correct me if I'm wrong, uh, because I was out in Ohio uh, years past, and I presented a workshop, and then I did another one in West Virginia. So that's how we I think physically met. Am I wrong?
1: You are correct. You're absolutely correct. There's one, uh, you did a PA workshop in, um, in Dayton, Ohio that Film Dayton helped you put on. Mm. And then the second one was a AD
0: workshop in Elkins, West Virginia. Elkins? Elkins?
2: Say no more! Wow, Holy...
0: that's my, my namesake. It must be a great town.
2: It's an awesome little...
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. So you were doing workshops, um, is, does, and that obviously pertains to your career path and your knowledge yeah. base.
2: Yeah. So... You know who I am and where I come from. I um, I'm a Yank by birth, but I live up here in Canada. And currently, I think that's a good place to be, mm-hmm. <laughs> given some of the issues in the world. Uh, mm-hmm. Having said that, it, well, you know what it afforded me, guys, was the luxury to uh, work in both countries uh, in an industry that is, um, you know, it's a, I want to say it's not a fickle industry, but it's it's hard when you're starting out. And if you have two doors that can open instead of one in terms of job uh, prospects, it's great. And uh, I had started on a film just by per, by purely luck uh, called the The Thin Red Line, which isn't a bad film to to call your first film ever. Wow! Uh, over in Australia, back in '96, I believe it was, and uh, I had hopped on a plane to come back to Canada and I had read a um, article in a People magazine about a film being made in Pattonsburg, Missouri. Uh, I had no experience, you guys, in the film industry. And I had actually no desire to work in the film industry. I was sort of an artsy-fartsy kind of guy. But I had finished a, gr- a degree in political science, which took me seven years. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, as they say, not all those who wander <laughs> are lost.
3: Uh,
2: and, uh, anyways, that article... Uh, pointed to Pattinsburg, Missouri, because they had moved the town, they being the state, had moved the town to higher ground because it was continually being flooded out. And a production company had come in, uh, taken over the town, and re- reconstructed it, rebuilt it to an 1860 uh, town in Lawrence, Kansas. And I had contacted the ADs that I'd met, the assistant directors I'd met on Thin Red Line, and uh, I said, look, do you know anything about this show? And as it is in this industry, she said, you know, Kenny, funny, funny you call me and tell and ask me that about that particular show, because the second assistant director on that show just called me up. And uh, he had asked, you know, how do you wrangle and manage uh, 150 reenactors, reenactors, you know, being people that are reenacting the Civil War? How do you get them through hair, makeup, wardrobe, uh, feeding them, pooping them, traveling them all? She said. You know, uh, his question to her was legit because yeah. she had to do the same thing with, well, not a hundred, more like on some days, guys, we had six to seven hundred background performers for for more war, war wow. seats. So it's a legitimate logistical question that an assistant director has to uh, ask. And, you know, through years of doing it, you, you get, you know, a number of tips and tricks uh, under your sleeve. And so she he had contacted her. And at the end of the conversation, she he said, you know, do you do you, did you come across any good PAs? Because I'm out here in in Lawrence, Kansas or Pattonsburg, Missouri. And I, I, you know, there's nobody here that's trained that knows I have to teach them everything about yeah. the, the film role. And uh, she gave him my name, I called him up, naively I sent him my headshot, because I didn't know, I didn't, I didn't even, like I ran out and got a headshot, because that's, I had no idea, well, what do you do to get in the film industry, I don't know, everybody says headshots, I didn't, I had no intention, I had no desire to be an actor, yeah. but I, you know, what? If you, if you have one show under your belt called Thin Red Line, what are you going to put on a resume, <laughs> so... Uh, I think he felt mercy, uh, A, or B, I think he also felt, which is the tendency in this industry, you know, that that phrase, fake film friends, is you become, you you have a hell of a lot more acquaintances than you actually do meaningful relationships with people because every show you meet 60 people and then they're gone out of your life. Uh, I think he was trying to make a connection because our second AD on Thin Red Line, she she, she was doing big stuff.
0: Or he just thought, damn, that's a good-looking PA.
2: Or he thought that when he saw the head. You know, and that's the way that it actually went. Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, to speak to younger filmmakers, what I did was, uh, after I called him up, he said, yeah, you know, you can come down here, Kenny, and I can get you a job. And I think he probably crumpled up my little headshot and threw it in the garbage (laughs) can after the phone call and never expected anything, you know, never expected to hear from me. But I... I took the step of throwing all my crap in the back of my little quarter-ton pickup truck. And uh, I drove from Canada all the way down to Pattonsburg, Missouri, down to Kansas City, actually. I found the, the office, the production office, walked in there, went to the front desk, asked for the second 80s uh, you know, office. And I, I just walked to his door and knocked on it and said, Hi, uh, you talked to me um, four days ago. I'm Kenny. Mm. And he was dumbstruck and he said, he was kind of like, shit, okay. What? <laughs> <He> <laughs> now I have to up. hire him. Yeah. Uh, and you know, that's the way I found. You don't start
0: for three months. What do you? <laughs> yeah.
2: Uh, yeah. I found that's the way I've got, you know, you get your, you get your gigs, right? It's to Totally.
1: I'm showing initiative. I'm pretty impressed that you drove down there and was able to find the, I mean, maybe it's a tiny town, but like find all that stuff pre-internet.
2: Actually. True. True. That's true, Frank. Yeah, no, you're right. Well, I mean, he had, he would have given would he have given me the production office address? He might have. Yeah, he might have mm-hmm. given me the office. But then this was in Kansas City, right? And this is this is pre GPS too. So trying to get yourself around Kansas City without GPS and and uh, um, uh, an address scrawled on a piece of paper. Anyways, uh, from there everything just kind of um, well. Uh, to, to add to that, when that show wrapped. Um I looked – I think I looked in the newspaper or something, and I saw an ad for an independent film being done in, in um, not in Grand Forks, North Dakota. Wow. And, one, uh, and the, the lead – I want to say the casting director had a small part in the movie I'd done in Pattonsburg, which the movie I'd done was called Ride with the Devil. It had Ang Lee was our director. Oh, my God. It was a fairly significant film. And Tobey Maguire it was one of his big – or one of his first movies. Anyways – This guy was a casting director, and uh, so I called them up in Grand Forks, and I said, like, do you? I've worked in the AD department. Do you need somebody? And they said, well, we can give you $50 a week, you know, um, and that's about it, and we'll put you up in the hotel. And uh, so then I got back in that same old truck, and I drove down, and, you know, just things kind of – that's the way you get gigs, and that's the way I continued to get gigs until it got to a point where people actually – wanted to call me back
0: (laughs) oh my god we uh you kind of glossed over something that i'm i'm super curious you your first film was the thin red line how (laughs) being so new to the industry can you kind of explain the process of how you ended up on that movie
2: yeah um pure luck (laughs) and being in the right place at the right time i had finished that four four four-year degree which had taken me seven years and uh, what am I going to do with my life and my brother had been to Australia he had a family a host family over there I called him up I said I'm coming over I don't know why or what I'm doing and I landed there and they got me a job at a winery and then they about a month into it they said Kenny we have a wedding to go to up in northern Daintree northern Queensland would you like to quit this job and just go for the wedding and I said, sure and I went to the wedding and um, I was sitting outside of a, a pub Having a drink with a buddy of mine, with the son and the family, and um, I've told Frank this story. I know, but I, um, I, you know, you can tell sometimes Alex when you're having a conversation with somebody in person that they're not paying attention because they're they're drifting away, their eyes mm-hmm. are drifting, whatever. I could tell that was happening. I said, Jaunt was his name, John short for Jonathan. I said, "What's up?" And he said, "Did you see that babe that just walked out of the bar?" <laughs> and I was like, "No," because <laughs> I have a conversation with you. <laughs> he says, "You got to go check her out." And uh, so I, I went out the gate, and I could see her walking down the street. Um, I think she might have been with a boyfriend. I can't recall, but I had no balls or guts. I went uh, across the street down the far sidewalk. Uh, an extra block in front of her came back so that I could hit her face on, right? Mm. I what was I doing? Just checking her out. It wasn't like I was going to stop and say hi because I had no guts for that. <laughs> Anywho, uh, as, I appro- as I was approaching her, Uh, Out of the corner of my eye on a a phone booth, I saw an advert for being a featured extra or being an extra in this movie, The Thin Red Line. And specifically, they were looking to cast 12 featured extras to be with the main cast to go through them with the main cast to go through a boot camp, which was being put on by Warriors Inc., which is quite renowned in the industry. Um, owned by Dale Dye and uh, he, Dale Dye himself wasn't coming over to do the training because he was on a little show called Saving Private Ryan Tiny show, yeah Filming at the time and so I went back to Jaunt and I sat down with his piece of paper and he said, so what would you think of her? and I was like, oh, fuck I only forgot but look at this, because I didn't (laughs) and the next day you're like, uh, I found a prettier lady, yeah (laughs) <laughs> the next day i went into the um, extras casting office and uh, i think because i mean i, I was I, i'm a yank by birth but i was raised in canada so i could still pull off the yankee accent if needed um and uh, i looked similar to the look that terence malik was after with his principal cast which was we it was a story of if you ever, if you watch Thin Red Line, there's so many voiceovers, you don't know who you're listening to. But his point was that all these men were going through the same issues at the same time. And so he, even his characters, like if you look at – like my name is Ken Chaplin. If you look at Ben Chaplin, mm-hmm. we – similar. I mean at the time I had hair. Frank will tell you I'm completely bald now. But <laughs> um, uh, we all had – and Nick Stahl and you look at Jim Caviezel, all dark-haired, blue-eyed. Yeah. Uh, Prominent is that kind of crap. Anyway, so um, that's how I got on Thin Red Line. She had cast, she uh, cast me as being one of the 12. And, you know, guys, I was, again, fortunate because over a thousand people, I mean, we over a thousand people applied. Yeah. And, um, and then I went through a boot camp and I had, I, you know, for, for a kid that grew up on a farm in the middle of nowhere, one day I'm, uh, I, you know, I wake up in a tent and there's uh, Woody Harrelson's snoring on one side of me and Sean Penn farting on the other side of me. Dang. Because we're going through a boot camp together. What right? an honor. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so we have to live in this jungle and um, eat sea rations and learn how to take an M1 grand and tear it apart. And they teach us a little bit about how to speak Japanese. They teach us about uh, bunkers. And, yeah, it was quite a quite an intro into the film industry. But, but the point of all of that is at the end of it, as with the end of any show, even today where I stand – is you don't know where your next job is coming from, so yeah. you've got to get out there and fight for it. And that's exactly what I did. And, and again, being in the right place at the right time, a people magazine landed in my lap on an airplane trip back home. <laughs> you that's know, amazing. with so so you started
0: as a f- as featured extra, moved out to PA, worked your way up the ranks, and now you're sitting
2: at AD. Yeah, yeah. I uh, you know one thing I could say to people is that I, I started as an extra, but I s- soon found or soon saw there was a need within the assistant directing department on that show uh just for a handler to handle all of these guys mm. and i just said to karen collins the second ad i said look i could do the extra gig as much as you want but i think i'm better service to you but help out choreographing extras and doing paperwork and all that shit and yeah and uh, she took me on in a heartbeat and that's how i you know i made myself available is what i'm saying to you and now i work uh as a as a first ad and as a second ad but what gives me i think a little bit of a um a foot up is the dual citizenship a and b i'm willing to travel and you have to create a niche for yourself like i've done shows in australia in malta in the u.s in canada i'm a i'm that ad that can travel that likes to travel right and and that's you, you know if you just haul somebody out of I don't know, a, a DGA, a d I would say Cincinnati, who's never traveled to Europe, well, there's a lot of headaches involved in oh that, yeah. and there's a spinning curve. So if I've already done that, you're taking a, a step out of the production coordinator's mm. uh, list. You know. So, yeah, and, and I'm currently um, going out next weekend to do a shoot. It's for, um, how do I say this politely? So when people go to... <laughs> go to film school you don't have to be polite (laughs) (laughs) when people go to film school they come out after four years you know grossly in debt and they have a degree and they they you know they look down the street at blowing tumbleweeds because they don't know like what's this degree worth like what do you scary world yeah yeah and um so sorry i lost my train of thought about film schools um Oh boy! Oh, what I'm doing now? Oh, so 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 a lot of them become they make their own little artsy fartsy films, right? And and they become art film creators, and and that doesn't really pay the bills. I'm not dismissing um, the importance of creating art films, uh, but it doesn't nine times out of ten pay the bills. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it does. For me as an ad, I've never done this kind of a project before, guys. But I'm going out next weekend to film an art film which is up in a place called Winter Saskatchewan and the director picked it because he just googled is there such a place in the world called Winter mm-hmm. <laughs> he found out there's a place called Winter Saskatchewan well it happens to be a complete ghost town like no nobody lives there but he wants to set two scenes and there's a very famous snowball fight that happened in the 1800s um and there's also a famous scene in which if you're familiar if you're hockey players Gordie Howe when he retired at age 52, um, there was a standing ovation, and I think it lasted nine minutes for his, the wow. number or in a sweater. I'm not sure, but it went on forever. And so this art film director wants to recreate those two scenes um, uh, out in this place called Winter Saskatchewan. So at, being a first AD, I think what – being a fe- be, coming up in the feature film industry gave me – Uh, So many skill sets that when I step onto a commercial set or onto an independent film set or onto a a project like this or commercial or documentary, um, all of those skill sets like really, really come home to you. Because you realize all of the hats that are being worn by different people in the feature film world, now you are wearing them all in your little commercial or your art film. Oh yeah. so it gives you it certainly gives you the experience of, of coming up as an assistant director in feature films gives you that range, I guess that, uh, and gives yeah, puts so many pegs on the wall and you're able to answer so many questions uh, that uh, say those that come up in documentary world or independent world, they, they're, yeah, they're just not aware of it until it happens. Like you make a lot of mistakes, but, mm. but that's, that's anyways.
1: And, yeah. and part of what you were starting to talk about was uh, film school and how a lot of these people come out in debt. And like you said, looking out and there's just tumbleweeds. They don't know what to do, where they go. Um, can you talk a little bit about what you're doing to try to combat that with your fits program?
2: Yeah. I, um, I, 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 you know, I walk a fine, fine line Frank with that because Film schools do a good service in that they are uh, teaching the creative aspects of filmmaking. So if you look at any film school in in America, nine times out of ten, they're going to be teaching five topics. Directing, acting, writing, uh, editing, and cinematography or lighting. But those are five positions that... Only exist as five positions on any film crew. There's then the other ninety-five percent, <laughs> right? Who are the um, seamstresses in the costume department? They're the costume PAs, or they're the craft service assistant, or they're the production o- uh, office coordinator. You know, there's all this incredible. Like you, anybody looks at the at the end credits of any movie, I'm sure everybody goes, "What the fuck do all those people do?" Mm-hmm. I just and, say the same five names over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And where do I get that, where do I get that training? And I, I really, I have to say there, there, there's nothing out there. Like what, what I, what we do, what I, what I do. You know, some people, most jurisdictions will come out with a one-off production assistant class. Mm -hmm. uh, And you go to them and you'll get a couple pieces of paper to walk home with. But I mean, I have fully realized training manuals and, individuals who've created these who are either retired or, or want to get out or want a, a, a secondary income. Uh, so they have this cachet of working in the industry, and they uh, I put them through public speaking, which is very important, I think, for anybody that pays money and wants to watch somebody stand up there and talk. Um, and I, I guess what I'm saying is it's, a, it's it, in topics like assistant directing, script supervising, costume department, working in the production office – um grip and electric um and i've sort of branched out actually and since i've talked to you frank this was new is uh a woman named meredith jordan she is a journalist out of washington dc and and, uh, her and i have known each other for years she was able to get onto a film called blast vegas which came out about two years ago and it was Mm -hmm. filmed and it had a cast you know an eight a tier a cast of morgan freeman and uh um Uh, Who's the um, Robert De Niro? Well, she kind of embedded herself uh, in that production. And you you would never ever see that now, nor ever again, I don't think, of having a journalist in your production office and free to roam the sets. Because in our age, right, everything is public disclosure agreements, right? Everything is, you know, you want to keep everything secret so that when you release your movie, everybody's excited for it and she was able to write this incredible book called Below the Line and it's uh, all about tradesmen, us all about the, the film crew workers and what we, what our lives are like and what uh, skill sets they have and what they need to bring to the table and what what their lifestyle is like um, and so she's actually presenting a seminar in Riverside she hasn't done it I think earlier in February maybe she did but so I've added that and I've added also a gentleman named Doug Lodotto he's a, a director and a producer and he teaches a course for us, but I don't have a training manual from him, but it's about film financing. And he actually came out to Dayton, Ohio, um, I want to say two or three years ago and presented. Did you go to that, Frank? Do you I, recall? I did not.
1: I didn't get involved with film Dayton until about two years ago, so okay. probably missed okay. it.
2: Yeah. Well, he, he So he doesn't have a manual, but he said, you know, Kenny, I've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on legal fees, drawing up legal agreements and understanding the financing of films and how tax credits work, not only in the United States, but in Canada and and across the world. And he, he, you know, he's worth listening to because we did a show in Des Moines, Iowa, in which the labor, the crew, uh, the keys came down from Canada Hmm. and was able to access their labor tax credit by hiring these, this crew out of Saskatchewan, brought them down to Des Moines, Iowa, and then hired, crew of course from des moines iowa that enabled him to get their tax so credit doubled up so he was able to double up yeah now he has he yeah you you might want to get him on your podcast sometime because he's fascinating to listen to if you're in into uh, film financing after a while i just my eyes glaze over because i don't understand
0: oh no that's supremely interesting we uh you know had the uh film commissioner for the city of cincinnati on a while back and that's Something that, you know, all the crew here uh, is very interested in. We're, we're interested in keeping <laughs> and sustaining uh, a vibrant film community here. So I think we'd all love to hear that.
2: So what's your take now? Uh, I understand that Cleveland and, and Kristen there and yeah. Cincinnati are pushing for from $40 million up to $100 million. Yes. Um, raise. rays What's that about? What's your take on it?
0: I heard that they're trying to uh, group it up with off-Broadway shows in order to get that bumped up. I uh, don't know if that's totally true. I haven't read the latest literature on it, but I know that we have enough coming in that the incentive money runs out really, really fast. And a lot of the people that do come love it and end up promoting the city to great effect. So... All I can say is I, I hope it keeps happening because it keeps me employed.
1: Yeah, and sure. I, the kind of the only thing I've heard is that it also favors TV shows a bunch, and it, the speculations is that because uh, Cleveland's trying to get a TV show, and yeah. the Cleveland end, ends up taking a lot of the tax incentive money as it is.
0: Yes. So there's two talks. There's the talk of bumping it up to $100 million and then doing the bundle thing. There's also talk of a Cincinnati-specific incentive to come here uh so i don't know a lot of things up in the air and up to the the higher ups to figure that one out
2: so it's incorrect for me to say this because i'm not educated enough and i haven't been working and have not worked in ohio but um i talk or i communicate yeah uh, fairly regularly with um Kristen in cincinnati ivan in cleveland uh-huh. uh, Brad in Youngstown, John Doherty in Columbus, Mindy in Hamilton, and then Lisa in Dayton. Yeah. And there is a strong sense that I get, and I'm just saying this as an outsider, but it's been voiced to me by a number of those film film commissioners. You have a state called Ohio, you have a tax incentive and you have X amount of dollars in it. Um, But Cleveland and cincinnati and i'm not going to name names uh they're they're really the ones that are drawing the big feature films right and really accessing that pool of and that credit um but there doesn't seem to be any desire um to join hands with the other commissions in that state uh which befuddles me because Mm. i would any productions that come like if you look at where youngstown's uh situated it's halfway, right, in between Cleveland and Pittsburgh, more or less. And so any filmmaker that's coming to Pittsburgh, their location scout, the range, is going to go up to Youngstown. Sure. Anybody coming to Cleveland, their range is going to go down to Youngstown. It's Youngstown is going to go out to Columbus. So so you're getting filming in Ohio, not just in Cincinnati, not just in Cleveland. You're going to be you're, – you're seeing it in Youngstown. You're seeing it in Columbus. You're seeing it, et cetera. So it, it seems to me – I just don't, I don't understand the politics of, it. I, I certainly get, uh, I don't want to say isolationist, I certainly get you want to protect your, your community and grab what you can. But at the same time, I wonder sometimes if you hold hands, all five or six film commissioners and say, you know, let's sell the state. But again, I'm speaking out of turn because I don't oh, no, know. no, no.
0: And from somebody that lives here and works here, I, I see the same, same stuff. I see the division mm-hmm. between, especially Cincinnati and Cleveland, there's this, oh, we're getting this, oh no, they got that kind of a yeah. mentality versus a, hey, hooray for, for Ohio. I, yeah. I get where you're coming from. Totally. Yeah.
2: yeah. No, I spoke with a craft service woman out of Cleveland and she said, no, I mean, I can't get anywhere from Cincinnati. I can't even get them to pick the phone. Exactly. Yeah.
1: if nothing else, like, I mean, I know Cincinnati and Cleveland are uh, three or four hours apart, but like at least the film commission, commissions that are within an hour of each other should cooperate. more. Yeah. I do.
0: Well, we're seeing a lot of, you know, the, cincinnati films like filming up in hamilton and you know stuff like that we get these movies of the week and so it's spreading out a little bit but they're still very centralized downtown cincinnati downtown cleveland yeah so yeah i don't know i i think that's that's something yet to be figured out i i hope it does i hope it uh blurs the lines a little bit um because it's it's not bad for anybody really more work yeah
2: yeah, yeah. true true true
0: true yeah
2: you had asked uh, in one of your questions, "What um, what does an assistant director do?" Um, and uh, my only word was "party planner." <laughs> and what does a PA do? Our production assistant? And that is simply facilitating. Um, I've been asked often, what even by crew, you know, what do you guys do as assistant directors? And in in, an, in a nutshell, r- really, we just coordinate and manage the show. We take script. We break it down to all of its elements, and then we're just the we're co- the conduit of information. We, we then distribute that information and say, okay, how are we going to make this come together? And then we facilitate that by saying, okay, let's have this meeting. These people have to talk. These people have to talk. Now we have to figure out how much it costs. Is this even doable? Can we take money from from this department to pay this department, et cetera, et cetera. So mm-hmm. th- that's what we do in prep, of course. And then on the day as a as an assistant director, whether you're first or second, you're doing the same thing, right? You're just the mouthpiece. You're communicating. Because if you don't have a first AD on set, you're going to have every single crew member coming up to that poor director, plus, yeah. plus the high-maintenance cast coming up to that director, asking the same old questions over and over and over again. So um, the first assistant director really is the one at the helm of the ship that's steering it. It's not the director. Um, the director has this vision, but the ship itself is manned and run by the assistant directing team. And we're, we're, we're are, we are we're beholden to the producer, of course, mm-hmm. and, and the UPM is a, the unit production manager who, who's the one that tallies how much is being spent and answers him or herself to the producer. I, as an AD, I'm beholden to them as well, right? Yeah.
0: I know nope. that as an operator I, on sets, I'm always if something needs to be done, I always just look over to the first AD, <laughs> give a nice little smile, and we have a conversation because I know that's the only channel to really get anything done on a set.
2: And so then what? I don't want to turn this around and into you, but sure. please let uh, let me ask you this: Give me advice as an AD. What what are the, what are the what are the best ads that you've worked with, and why?
0: Uh, we have one, there's like one DGA AD, first AD in Cincinnati, SB Weathersby, uh, who's on pretty much every movie that comes to the city. Uh, but okay. he, yeah, he, so it's always, I, I just turned SB and I'm like, Hey, SB, that, that, that barricade at the end of the sh- streets hasn't been moved yet. Or, Hey, when's this? Or, Hey, you know, scheduling or items or people, something needs to be done. He probably knows the answer.
2: Okay, right, that's how right. I think
0: of an AD it's just it's it's got to be stressful because they seem to know everything mm-hmm.
2: yeah no you have to you have to as an AD you have to be able to ask a- answer every single question almost like the director does in fact I often find that the AD knows more about the script and the story than the director does because I know all the logistics yeah. that go into making that vision actually happen and that all this shit actually occurs on the day like the boats show up the cars show up the extras show up mm-hmm. the cast show up I I look at. Um, I went to a screening of a small independent film last week, and it was called The Tin Wife, and it was set in the '50s. And the uh, the this, this scene is this abandoned sort of warehouse, and in it there are about I think I counted about nine uh, women dressed in 1950s uh, garb. So they had on the, the the ballroom dresses. They had their hair all done up. They had they had that '50s look to them. And I said to him, I, I asked, I said, so you had like 910 cast members in that scene I said how 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 long of prep did you need for hair makeup wardrobe costume to get those to get to get to set to actually shoot that he said oh and he kind of laughed and he said well he said we had a crew call at 6 a.m and we didn't get the first shot off until 1 p.m. whoa. And then he said, "And we didn't actually finish shooting until 4 a.m. But you know what? That's the heart of a Saskatchewan crew." And I was like, wow. no, "No, no, That's not part of a Saskatchewan crew. That's maybe the heart of desperate film workers." But yeah. uh, that's that's the I, I want to say to him: Did you have an assistant director? And if you didn't, if you did, you should have fired them because
0: mm-hmm.
2: you, you know. Uh, so, the
0: general what, crew call was 6 a.m. and they didn't shoot until one.
2: Yeah, and I see that a wow. lot. Out on a lot of small, independent, non-union shoots, is they're like, "Okay, guys, let's everybody show up at seven o'clock, and we'll figure out what we're going to do." But you know, roughly, we're going to be shooting these scenes.
0: No, that's- pre-call oh. all the departments that need time. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. But that's
1: so, Kenny. What are your What are some of your uh, tricks and tips that you use as an AD to make the set run smoother and not take so many hours to uh, shoot their fir- get their first shot off?
2: um well if I talk about cast one thing that I would i I is a feather in my cap uh, and has come back to haunt me in a good way on a couple shows is w- when you're shooting a sh- shoot and you've got local actors of course involved and then you've got the ones that are flying in from la or whatever uh when the people from when the cast come in from la okay they're in they're with you but the local cast who are just doing bit parts, right? They're coming on for a day or two days, whatever it might be. Every Monday morning, I will look at the coming week schedule and I will, i have, ha- the cast will have, I mean, the, the bit parts will have already been cast or you, you would hope they have. Been. I'll have their phone numbers and their emails. So every Monday morning, I'll send out three things. I'll send out a text. I'll send out an email. And I'll actually place this weird thing called a personal phone call <laughs> to oh. those cast members, and I'll say, "Hey, Alex, roughly you're going to be sh- you're going to be shooting on Thursday. Uh, rough call time is going to be approximately eight o'clock. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is approximately where our location is going to be. These are approximately the scenes that you're going to be shooting. Do you have any allergies uh, to food? Because you know we're going to be feeding you, of course, on that mm-hmm. day." Um, your character's married, so uh, do you have a ring size that you can give us for the props person to make sure you have a ring? Uh, have you had your fitting yet with the costume department? Oh, you haven't. Okay, well, let me make sure I book that so that I get you in in the next day or two, etc., etc., etc. And and one of the other things I do in the e- in the body of the email or the text is I say, what is your preferred uh, means of communication? Because I've. Some people will actually answer emails, some people don't. Mm-hmm. Some people answer texts, some people don't. Some people like iMessengers, some people don't. Some people want a phone call, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So i got to figure that out as a second AD, and I have a cheat sheet uh, so that I, so because at the end of the day, you know, when we're wrapping out and I'm looking at tomorrow's work, I'm like, okay, I've got a contact. You know, this laundry list of people, the catering department, I've got to contact my transport guy, I've got to contact all these cast members, I've got to make sure, you know, but if I've already sent out those, those feelers on Monday, people are expecting a call from me. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell them that I'll say, Look, you know, you're not playing until Thursday, I'll give you a call Wednesday, and it might not be until midnight that I call you, but I'll, I'll, I'll be sure to call you. But that has saved uh, my ass many times. And it was, Brought to my attention by, I I did a seminar in Kansas City, and I I brought in The Housewives of Kansas City, it was called at the time, it was a web series. And they came in and they said, you know, Kenny, as local actors, we'll go in for a a read-through and we'll get the part, and that's maybe like six weeks before we actually go to camera. And our casting director will say, you know, we'll be in touch with you, but you're, you're hired. And our agent will say, yeah, you know, block that day out. You're hired. Uh, and then we hear nothing until the night before. Mm-hmm. Just don't Even know if, it, if everything's on schedule, if we're still going. And then and then we get a location. And we drive to it. We have, like, no idea where this location is. So I get a map, and I show up at, in what they call crew parking. And I don't know. I'm just an actress. I don't know. Am I supposed to get into that white van and tell them where I need to go? I don't know this. right. And then I end up at base camp, and it's like, who do I talk to? I don't know who to talk mm-hmm. to. So, so doing all this preliminary work really saves your ass uh, day by day uh, throughout the week. You know, um, Another trick that I use is um, as a second AD, on Sunday, on my own dime, on my own time. Now, I've worked from Monday until Friday morning or Saturday morning at 6 a.m. So I sleep all day Saturday. Sunday, I might go... Uh, stock up on booze and cigarettes and for mm-hmm. my fridge. But uh for Sunday afternoon I'll actually create the next week's call sheets, all five of them and, and have like have them mostly eighty percent done, like really dumped in and that might you know, somebody not familiar with the industry or with this job might, they might say, well, that's obvious. But no, like a lot of second ADs will come in on the morning of, on Tuesday morning, start from scratch and build their call sheet from there. And, and they sit in their office, the little office honey wagon. Yep. And you don't see them until like noon or lunchtime. And I think that's such a gross waste of time because my job as a second AD is, is to think about tomorrow and, and to consider tomorrow. And so I'm there to put out any fires that come up. Well, I can't be putting out fires on the morning if I'm stuck in an office typing in data, right, for tomorrow. Yeah. So uh, and a lot of second ADs who I've worked with through the years are like, oh, I'm not going to waste my time. That's my time on a Sunday. I'm like, well, you know, i mean yeah."
0: Makes your job the rest of the week that much easier, though. No, I wouldn't say easier, but a little more streamlined
2: and manageable. Oh, so yeah. much more. You have time to chat with people. And that's the biggest thing about one of my favorite things about being a second AD is I literally have to talk to everybody each morning and each during the day to tell them about tomorrow. And hey, 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 uh, Frank, uh, on Thursday, we have a, a, a car coming in that needs to be rigged with a hood mount. Do you have that hood mount? Oh, shit. No, I haven't ordered it. Okay. So I get to actually, but I, I, I give this advice and that is instead of always talking, William Hurt taught me this, instead of walking up to an individual, whether it's a crew member or cast member and immediately talking shop, right? I ask them personal questions and talk to them about their day and how they're feeling. And then I say, Hey, give me a second here. I just want to talk shop for a second. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, then they get it. Right. But you, 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 yeah, you really get a sense of who people are and you know, like I, I learned quite quickly on a show who not to go to with my preliminary call sheet uh, until after lunch or until four or five hours into the day? Because the beginning of their day is like chaos. right? Yeah. yep. Stand-ins—they'll talk to you right away. Sure,
0: but the no. department heads probably are. Yeah, running around like chickens with their head gets up. Yeah. yeah.
2: You know um, another t- another tip that I have is. Um, When I worked as a second second AD, I went out to like a a Dollarama store or whatever it was, and I I bought 12 binders, just cheap binders. And then I bought the dividers. And I would put – each show I would put a a cover sheet on the binder that said the name of the show. But inside it, I would put things in there like – a whack of deal memos, a whack of time cards. I put a bunch of res deck forms, res deck forms, a residency form. So if we're coming to Ohio to film a show and, and they're going to uh, uh, access the, the labor tax credit, they need to prove, producers need to prove that you're a local hire. So you have to fill out a res deck form. Uh, I'll put in their shooting schedule, I'll put in their one line or all that kind of crap. So it's a nice little kind of almost like a welcome binder, but it helps me as, a, as, an, aide, as an assistant director because I don't have people coming to me. Every day, going, hey, you got a timesheet. Hey, you got a deal memo. Hey, you got this. Hey, you got that. No, they've got it all on their truck. Every every department will have that binder. So it it, it you know it's just these little time saving tip kind of things that I that I've learned through the years that really m- 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 make my job more efficient, make me more efficient, and make me more accessible and available to step in yeah. when shit's bad, you know, because it's gonna hit the fan
1: always, inevitably. And uh, uh, one thing you say in uh, in your classes is, uh, I think, let me know if I'm butchering this, and uh, in, be invisible yet unforgettable.
2: Okay. Yeah, I guess Frank, I take that even into my position now. Like I, I usually say that when it comes to being a production assistant, you're starting out. You know, you do something good, you want people to notice so that they 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 think of you and hire you the next time and the next time and the next time. But to be candid, I mean, people are looking at you all the time. You don't need to raise your hand and say, see, look what I just did there. So I, I yeah, I, I coined that term or I stole it from somebody. Be uh, be unforgettable, but be invisible. Like you don't need, you don't need, I, I mean, I don't
1: know. Well, just like but, you said with those uh, little binders and stuff that you're dropping off at the different departments and stuff, that's being invisible. You're not making them come to you like, I'm so important. I have to have the, you have to mm-hmm. come to me for the forms.
2: Mm-hmm. and it's making them feel like i've taken care of them right now now i've taken out a i've helped them right now they don't have to go through the whole regular role of coming down to base camp and tracking me down and getting into the honey wagon and trying to find a deal now it, you know it's all taken care of for um another tip that i do too is when it comes to catering and crafty i used to own a food truck and uh, i know how much time it takes to prep for an event uh, when you're serving a crew, you're doing that prep time while you're also serving them for the next day, right? There's, there's, So so so. I guess my tip is every Monday, I'll go to my caterer and I'll go to my key craft service person. And I'll say, okay, this coming week on Wednesday and Friday, uh, we've got 65 extras coming in on both those days. And roughly, I can tell you that their call time is roughly going to be about this time. And you're going to have to either prepare you know, an extra 60, to go burritos for breakfast or whatever it might be but they most of the crew are so busy on the day doing their job that they casually look at tomorrow and you're lucky if they even look at Wednesday or Thursday or Friday my job is to, to make me unforgettable is to 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 be the one to, to to point these things out for them so that on the day they you know they're prepared they're not they're not going oh no, you didn't tell me because Yeah, I did tell you, it's called a one-line schedule. You just look at the thing, but they don't have time to sometimes. And people have asked me, too, like, what are your pet peeves about people in the industry? It's just this general sense of entitlement that crew have. Uh, Cast, of course, have it. I mean, that's legendary. But crew have a sense of entitlement. Oh, craft service food sucks. (laughs) Oh, you know, it's free. (laughs) It doesn't have to. Yeah, yeah. you don't – we we don't – like, it's not in any union – agreement that we have to pay you or we have to feed you breakfast you know it's a courtesy this is actually a courtesy
3: yeah
2: Uh, i don't like the food well you know you can ask the chef if you have you know allergies and stuff but this sense of entitlement is is Mm. is, you know they all want a phone call i I, and another (laughs) really pet peeve that burns is so the makeup and hair department they have a trailer. And they do an amazing job of allowing a cast member at 4 a.m. in the morning who's grumpy and tired to come into this beautiful trailer that's got candles lit and, I don't know, uh, some kind of beautiful music playing and, yada you know, it de-stresses them and they can calm down. They do this great psychological babble on on the cast so that when the cast walk out of the trailer, they're ready to do their job, ready to do what they're paid for. Mm -hmm. But that same hair and makeup team... um, Kind of, kind, I, I've seen it rarely, guys, where they don't take the sense of entitlement, where they sit in their trailer and they wait for the assistant, a member of the assistant directing team to come up to the trailer door, knock on it and say, uh, you guys, we have the cast traveling to set and uh, you might want to be on set. So I've got a van for you. Mm. Oh. Instead of when the cast member steps out of the trailer and they're done in their hair and makeup, get your shit together, get in a van and go to set. Yeah. Don't- don't wait for somebody to come and tell you when it's time for you to go to work. And I see that routine and it's just, it Mm. blows. To me, it's not professional, right? But their excuse is, well, Kenny, if the cast are sitting down here in base camp, waiting for the lighting setup to be finished, if they have an issue, you know, they need their lipstick reapplied or something, they can come right into our trailer and we're here for them. Well, to me, it's like bullshit because it hardly happens. Yeah. Anyways, Mm. there's a pet peeve. But neg enough negativity. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what uh I want to know some of the crazier things that that you've what's I don't know, just something out of the ordinary as a any member of the AD department that you've had to deal with. I guess maybe an accomplishment, a problem that you've solved popped up out of nowhere, anything that you can think up of off the top of your head?
2: Mm. No. Off the top of my head, I was thinking you were going along the lines of horror stories. You think that I've
0: experienced? Yeah, I mean that could be something too. Yeah, something that didn't go right. Uh, You just said positivity, man. I'm just trying to keep that train rolling.
2: (laughs) Well, I just like uh, in in terms of our position as ADs, we're in charge of safety on the film set. Yeah. So anytime you want to act like a yap and do something stupid, it's on me. When you get hurt, it's on me that they're going to call and say, "Hey, why was this happening?" well i couldn't be at 40 places at once but i recall on a show i did with uh, david mamet and uh, the bell kilmore on it and Derek luke it was called um, spartan yeah kristen bell was in it too nobody ever saw it, i'm sure but um it, early one morning this grip jumped on his little bmx bike and decided to jump a culvert right and uh, he didn't make it to the other side and his wrists Broke both his wrists, right? They snapped, right? Because he landed on the other side of the culvert, didn't make it, and both his wrists snapped.
3: Wow! It's
2: like five a.m. or six a.m. in the morning. I don't have an ambulance there. I don't have a helicopter coming in, you know. Um, but that's that's my job is to help the idiots. Sometimes <laughs> you're not. Know, also, I had a, a, a first AD, and so in television, um, you have two first ADs, right? You have one that's doing the first, doing the show that's shooting, and then you have one that's prepping the next episode. And uh, those two assistant directors rotate and they uh, are on for the whole duration of the, of the series or for the, for the year. Right. And you, if you're shooting, I don't know, 13 episodes, whatever it might be. Sometimes if, you know, like all of us, we have issues at home. We can't, we can't uh, come to work. We had a, a Uh, a very well-known assistant, first assistant director come in and replace our first AD. And sometimes that's difficult on a television series because the crew have been together for so long. The cast have been together for so long. They know the system. They know how things work. And um, this first assistant director was getting frustrated because, okay, so I know this. Any first assistant director that's a yeller or a screamer is, is completely just unprepared. Yeah. There's, uh, you don't have to be a yell or screamer in this business if you're prepared and you know your shit and you, you've done your homework there's no reason to be a screamer right it, it, but having said that uh, he was he was getting upset I think because his walkie wasn't working or something like that now I'd been on this show It was uh, this particular show was Judge and Amy the TV series and uh, he called me to set now I was the key set PA so I was just around the corner so something. I came around the corner he took his walkie and his headset off of I mean, this is a this is a this is a gentleman in his late fifties. Like he should be a pretty, uh, what would you call a mature individual. Mm-hmm. He he took his yeah he took his headset and his, his radio off and he threw it at me. Go get me another fucking wow. This one doesn't work. And he threw it at me right. And I was like speed away. And of course it hit me. And there was just silence on the set. And The crew was like, oh well, oh, well, they just hit Kenny our little PA. Like I'm you know like you're the PA whether you're thirty five years old or not. You're just a little PA right. Yeah. You know, But all the other department heads just stopped and looked at me and were waiting for me to come back with the left hook or something. And I just turned around and walked off the set. And I walked off the show, actually. And the so the show was being shot by Fox. It was on the Fox lot. And um, they came back. The studio came back. They fired the guy and uh, saved the production assistant. Wow, right? Nice. That's a, Which, a
0: story you don't regularly hear is the big studio standing up for the,
2: quote, little guy. No, 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 you don't, Alex. And I think part of that was is, is you know, uh, you become a really close-knit family Yeah. on a series like that. So er, so there are plenty of witnesses <laughs> to say, hey. So maybe legally also they were like, mm, he might be the little PA, but uh, we're in America. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> The shit out of us. A, maybe that was it. But also B, I think they felt yeah, Kenny's been a very But those are the, yeah, two of
0: the things that I. Wow, 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 wow. So a takeaway for for all you kids and not kids and people getting started is you don't have to be an asshole. <laughs> just be be nice, yeah. know your shit, and uh, do your job politely and, and
2: correctly. And another thing, Alex, too, is just knowing people's names. Yeah, it's uh, really common courtesy. Common courtesy, you know, when somebody's coming out of the building, you you let them come out instead of trying to barge through that door, right? It's mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the things that you do in your real life should apply to the film industry as well. It's just etiquette and protocols and such. And uh, I just find learning people's names, which can be done almost instantaneously if you pay uh, a second or two, to yeah.
0: Like I know your name's John. Like that's a given.
2: So, really <laughs> <Absolutely>, Pete. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, just lastly, because you got me on this topic, um, as ADs, everybody's always coming up to us with their problems. What's going to happen? How do we do this? How do we do that? Mm-hmm. In your real life, if you're going to succeed in any, in any line of work, you never just state a problem. You state a problem and offer a solution yeah. or even another solution, like possibly two solutions. Because if you just say, hey, this is the problem, I mean, what, what good is that to the person that's receiving that information? If you can, it's it, you, you're more you're you're more invested. You're not expendable. You're you're more uh, proactive. And you, right. you know, yeah,
3: yeah, hmm. Hmm.
2: And funny stories from the film set. Maybe that's what you're going for. Was Maybe, I re- Yeah. Let's end it on. Let's <laughs> yeah. let's get to a positive. <laughs> Being on a, I was on a set, uh, and we were. It was an exterior set. The camera was uh, across the street, and we we're filming. Uh, extras and the lead cast were walking on the sidewalk and then the lead cast were going up the steps of a courthouse and into a courthouse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so my camera, my, my, my frame was, you know, maybe 10 feet on either side of the courthouse shooting from across the street. And uh, it was in a, I don't want to say small town, town of maybe 30, 40,000 people. But this little old lady, I could see her as I yelled uh, rolling. She had come out of a, car or something down the street and she was walking right the frame? Towards, <laughs> directly toward us on that sidewalk and was going to walk right in right into frame right right and we had been, i was under like all 80s i was under a time crunch i need to get this shot done so that we could set up the steady cam and then move to another location and i could tell like we've done this take i think three or four times choreography is tough you know when you've got casts, you got extras and you got cars on the street blah blah, blah. i'm like, sure. oh motherfucker here she comes and she's just doling along with her cane and her little purple purse on her left arm and she's walking while i'm like and we're rolling and you know the sound the, the conversations going on with the two actors in front of the courthouse but i'm like she's gonna blow this fucking tape wow. she's gonna because she's gonna walk right into the re- and so i knew the frame line so i and all the cameramen were watching and of course the monitor was back there and the producer, and they watched me zip across the street out of frame, right? But I ran up, and I was ducking down because I knew maybe she was coming in. I couldn't remember. But anyways, I ran up to her. Of course, I didn't introduce myself to her. I came up from behind. Oh, no. tapped her on the shoulder, right? Maybe, maybe, maybe a little aggressively. I don't know. But she turned around with her purse, and she clocked me as hard as <laughs> she started beating me. Right? I thought you were a mugger. She's was mugging her,
0: yeah. Oh, in. my God. You should and have I, just used her, man. Use, her, use it as a natural frame wipe editing choice.
2: <laughs> you know, in hindsight, I probably, I didn't know, but in hindsight, I probably could have let her go, and she wouldn't have known any better. But, you know, you, you've you been in that situation, oh, too. Oh, totally. Can't let real person go through the frame because they'll invariably they'll stop and they'll go, Hey, why are you guys shooting? <laughs> oh, they're like a family. Right?
0: Yeah, mayonnaise commercial always, yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And another one that I really liked, uh, and this speaks to actors who have, um, okay, so younger actors are often the divas. They need validation. They need their M&Ms. They need their coffee, way, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. As you get older as an actor, you realize how lucky you are to actually work in business. Um, I worked with uh, Dustin Hoffman and Nick Nolte on two different occasions, and they're both very similar in that. When you have a scene which involves one of the actors being off camera, you don't need that other actor there often. You need to just have the script supervisor read the lines mm-hmm. for the actor. on camera. An unprofessional actor might sit in their trailer during that moment because they're off camera. Professional actors like Nick Nolte get off of an airplane after a 22 hour flight. Uh, land in Cairns, Australia. Get off the airplane. Get into a car. Get zipped up to our set, which is an hour and a half away. He's still in his pajamas. They whisk him into the elephant grass, all the way on top of this hill, where he's just off camera now. He's actually off camera on a. He's on a, a walkie-talkie, speaking and yelling at Elias Kotius, who is on camera and trying to save his troops. Wow. And- Nick is just off camera. He's in his pajamas, but my God, he gave an incredible performance off camera. He was giving just as much as you would think he would be giving on. He was yelling and screaming. There was spit coming out of his mouth. There was sweat on his forehead, and there he is sitting in his pajamas off camera. Right? Nobody's ever going to, you know, see this performance except those of us. No. Right? You know? And and, and um, but that influences
0: the on camera performer's performance. Sure. Yep. Yeah. Oh. If they have something to react to. And I've I've seen this multiple times. Again, like you're saying, where the person off camera in, in one case he was drunk at this point. Not good. But yeah, it, it definitely impacts what you get in the frame.
2: Oh. I I would want that if I was an actor from the other actor. Oh yeah. And it's called um, Percy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, yeah. And, and same with Dustin Hoffman. We had the same thing. It was actually it was it was Rachel Weiss was on a phone call. She was on a balcony, and at the other end of the phone call was Gene Hackman. But Gene Hackman couldn't be there; he was in L.A. I can't remember. But so Dustin Hoffman said, "Hey, I'll step in."
3: Mm.
2: Dustin Hoffman came in on his own day off, stood behind the camera, and read the lines uh, for, for for Rachel. Now, I mean, Gene and, and Dustin go way back, so you know maybe there's a deep friendship there, and they like, mm. support each other. But, anyways, I, I just think you know, for young actors, uh, be thankful. Where you're at, and do everything you can to help the show. Totally. And
0: it's a team effort. Yeah, every every little uh, addition from any crew member, or cast member, it all contributes to a better end product. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. yep. So, uh, Kenny, where would where would people go to find out more about you and uh, what you're doing?
2: Uh, well, I have a, a company, Frank, right, called Film Industry Training Seminars, but I've been told that that is a really long, boring name. What a good <laughs> seminar! And who would want to go to train? So if you go to filmcrewtraining.com, it'll actually link to our website, filmcrewtraining.com. And I know I have a Twitter handle and an Instagram handle called Film Crew Trainer. Um, And this, I I don't know when this will air, but this weekend I'm actually coming to uh, Youngstown, Ohio, to present the assistant directing seminar. And. Uh, nicely and fortunately, all of the film commissioners have uh, posted this workshop on their uh, social media, which is awesome because this is going to benefit all of those working in the film industry in Ohio. Oh, yeah. And, um, yeah.
1: Maybe that's the first step towards uh, the cooperation between you- everyone.
0: Unifying factors, Kenny.
1: Yep. <laughs>
2: there you go.
0: <laughs> you can be the glue, my friend.
2: <laughs> but I uh, think it's vitally needed training. Like, you don't figure. like out of ten, like, Alex, how or Frank, how did you guys get, like, how did you get your first gig, and what was your training? Was it, like, nine times out of ten, I hear this, on the job?
0: Training. Ha. <laughs> I don't think I've been trained to this day. No. Uh, yeah, my first job, I started out in grip and electric, and it was just dumb luck. Mm-hmm. PA, uh, you know, got thrown in with uh, grip department, moving sandbag, you know, muscle carts and stuff, and got pulled onto a commercial, got pulled onto a movie, joined the union, moved over to camera. Here I am. And here
2: you are. So <laughs> yeah. what, if, what if, Alex, you had you taken a two-day workshop prior to that first gig, and they said, this is what a Cardellini looks like, and this is how you use it. This is how you put a C-stand away. Sure. This is where you want to put your hands so you don't pinch your fingers. This is how a walkie-talkie works. Uh, this is how you connect the headset, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think you probably would have walked onto that first film set actually looking like you knew what you are doing.
0: Infinitely more prepared, or... On a on another you know track, if I had gone to a you know PA seminar or a uh, uh, AD seminar, maybe I would have ended up on the production track. You know, who knows? Right, true, true. But yeah, we all we all find our paths in one way or another. But I think you're right. Training is imperative. Yeah,
1: it's the I'd say it's the trade school. You got film school, yeah. Creative trade
0: school is what you do. Love
1: it. Yeah.
2: Yeah, so I should tra- change the name of this company to Film Crew Trade School. Uh,
0: <laughs> Just keep Fitz Film Industry Trade School. Done. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> we can work together. Oh, that's awesome, man! Uh, anything else you want to add? Words of nuggets of advice? Any uh, horror? You know, don't do this kind of things.
2: Uh, this for those that are uh, starting out is the lifestyle. Um, it is an immense sacrifice, regardless whether you're working in front of the camera or behind the camera, uh, a lot, I didn't know this getting into it, you guys, that you're doing 80 hour weeks. Um, and oh, so think of a TV series. And so I'll give you an example, judging Amy, I would start that in July and, uh, I wouldn't get off that set until May, the following spring. Um, I know our second second AD who ran base camp she'd be up at 4 a.m. Monday morning or 3 a.m. Monday morning getting to work by 4 30 uh, and then she'd be going home around 7 or 8 o'clock that night and then come Friday she'd be going to work at 4 o'clock in the afternoon and not getting home until 6 a.m. Saturday morning you mm-hmm. uh, don't have a life so if you think that you're passionate about the film industry make sure you're goddamn passionate about the film industry and this is all you want in life don't get into the business because it's coming to Ohio and you're going to make money and you don't have a job and you can take a training class and fit right in and do I mean listen everything we do is pretty common sense I mean as an AD it's pretty common sense what well, I think what I do um but I have stepped away from the industry uh, significantly in the last 6 years because I have a daughter and if you're working 80 hours a week and you're off in Australia or wherever, you don't, you don't have, you don't have a personal life. And so what is, what are you giving up to get? Yeah. Um, is it money? At the end of the day, yeah, you get paid a lot of money. Um, you get to travel, you get fed all the time, but where's the quality of life? For me, yeah, yeah, I can, I don't know, I can manage a shoe store. <laughs> Do- <laughs>
0: Yeah, I always joke about that too. On a bad day from work, I go, "Hey, well, I wonder what breweries are hiring now." Yeah, <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah,
0: that's funny. No, it's definitely it definitely takes its toll, and it's definitely something you have to be passionate about. But in the end, if you like creating visually appealing images and works of art, then maybe it's for you.
2: Yeah, it's for you. And if uh, you're willing to to, it's a freelance gig, so yeah. if if you, there's no stability. Right. So uh, until you get up to a certain, you know, st- rung on the ladder, people actually start calling you back. Yeah. Um, it's, it's an instant inst- and inst- inst- stable uh, lifestyle.
3: Totally.
1: Totally, totally. That's cool. We, we, we totally appreciate uh, you taking time out of packing yeah. to talk to us.
2: Oh, <laughs> well, I really, I love this conversation. I love what you guys do. Um, I I, uh, I wish you the best with this and, and continue doing it. And uh, next time I might actually crack open that bottle of bourbon.
0: Absolutely, man. Well, Kenny Chaplin, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing a little bits of wisdom. And uh, I'm sure we'll
2: speak soon. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, Frank. And, Thanks. and to your listeners for listening.
0: <laughs> yep. All right. Cheers. Thanks. Cheers. Cheers. Take care. Dude, what a great knowledgeable guest. He's a great guy. Yeah. Good, good connection. Yeah. How, uh, I, I have a question for you. How was sure. the course? How uh, great. Courses.
1: Yeah. Great. Yeah,
0: you learned, learned a lot?
1: Yeah, I did. Um, like I said, it's, it's, I, I looked at it as a, a trade school, um, instead of film school. How long were they? They're two day classes. Oh, uh, cool. They're two days. They're like eight or nine hours a day on a Saturday and Sunday. Got it. So they're, they get
0: the steel seal of approval?
1: They do. They yeah. do. They're, they're super in depth. Um, a ton of information you wouldn't, fi- uh, like, especially if you've never been on a film set, I, I don't, I don't recommend really going onto a film set until you take something like this. Totally. Um, I, I was a, a PA for a discovery channel show and, uh, like I had done my own stuff just by myself or like me with one other crew member, but had I taken this course before I walked on there, I would have looked way more professional.
0: Yeah. That I did. Might not have, uh, uh, I, I, I feel like I embarrassed myself in my first job for sure. Yeah. Um, cool, man. Well, yeah, hopefully, um, people take the opportunity to take the course, learn a little bit, uh, jump on their first project or maybe their next project a little more, uh, in the know.
1: I'd start with the PA class, and like you'll see, like people say, like, "Oh, you don't need to take a PA class because you just mm, learn on the job." No. But like, there's some stuff like he covers that you like. You're not going to learn walkie stuff on Edicate. the job. Like you, you, you want to yeah. learn that stuff before you put the headset on for the there's first time.
0: Basics that you need to know, building and, blocks.
1: And then there's just little like little tidbits you pick up that you wouldn't. It would take you probably a while the work on set to pick up. Like um, I never noticed. Like if you. Uh, are going to walk into the hair and makeup thing, you say stepping up, because they might have like an eyeliner next to uh, someone's uh, eye and stuff, so you don't shake the, so they know you're going to shake the trailer when you walk up. Just got it. Stuff, yeah. you, you know, you don't want to just charge in.
0: Sure. There. Bowl in a china shop. Yep. A steel bowl in a china shop. Yep. Got it. <laughs> awesome, man. Um, any reminders, ratings, reviews? Guys, you got to a and review. Yeah. That's we, not an order. I'm. I'm just saying, like, please, please do it. We like it. Pretty please. Yeah, pretty.
1: Yeah. If you if you uh, if you like what you're hearing, uh, subscribe, leave a rating review, and uh, we'll read it on the show.
0: Yeah. yeah no matter what country you're in, because we'll find it. Yep. We'll, we'll find you. We'll dig it up. We'll change our country code. We'll we'll find that Chinese review. We'll read it. You
1: can't hide from us. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, you cannot.
1: And as always, you can follow us on social media at FDB Podcast, um, and uh, we want to know. Um, of a time on set that you could have used a better trained PA or AD. Yes, we want to know.
0: Cool, man. Well, until yeah. next time. Good. Cheers, cheers.
3: This podcast is produced by Frank Steele and recorded live at Gwyn Sound Studio. Find out more at gwynsound.com.